Interpretations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. Hello, everyone. It's uh, Todd Fredericks, uh, DO, Associate Professor of Family Primary Care. I always get that wrong. I, I have uh, years of family medicine, and I am a family practitioner, but we are the Department of Primary Care at The Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, and eventually it'll become just routine to remember that. Uh, but uh, that's a minor detail that you don't care about. We're about to start the next series on rotations with Bryant Giles. Uh, Bryant Giles is an osteopathic physician and a resident in ophthalmology. He is a really nice guy, and he's got a very interesting story about how he became an ophthalmology resident and will soon be a, an attending ophthalmologist. Uh, it didn't start out that way, and I won't spoil it for you, but um, I wanted to let you know that's coming. It is Christmas Eve, and I'm going to try to post this as a uh, wish of the best Christmas day that all of you can have, whether or not you celebrate Christmas, whether or not you celebrate some other holiday, or you don't celebrate any holidays at all. For Christians to wish you a Merry Christmas, um, it, it, is a, it, it is actually a very high form of compliment, and it's a very high form of, um, of uh, just good nature, for a Christian to wish you Merry Christmas. I, I hope that those of you who do not practice faith or who do not have the Christian faith understand that it is not meant as anything other than that. And when I wish you Merry Christmas, what I'm wishing you is peace on earth, goodwill to men, etc., etc., etc. And so uh, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and I want to wish you a very happy New Year, and I want to uh, hope that you will... Um, that you will find the best of uh, of 2021s. 2020 has been a challenging year. It has been a challenging year for everyone. Some of us have found ourselves working more than we ever wanted to. Some of us have found ourselves not working as much as we wanted to. Um, very few people have found a middle ground uh, of balance, which is what most human beings need in their life. They need a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they need some of, some of this and some of that, but never the extremes. And so if I had to... Uh, characterize 2020, it is a year of extremes, a year of very highs for some people um, in terms of just the most productive work year they've ever had, especially those people working in public health, uh, a year of massive amounts of learning about pandemic disease uh, in a way that we've not been forced to learn for basically 100 years since 1918. And now with the advent of the internet and more rapid global communications, um, volumes of information uh, that just boggle the mind at times, uh, changing information. Uh, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, the understanding of that disease uh, and the pathogen that causes it has changed multiple times over the course of a year. You, you think that you just have a, a handle on it, and the next thing you know, it's it, well, that's not how we thought. If you recall, we talked about hydroxychloroquine. There's been ivermectin. There's been um, remdesivir. There has now, uh, you know, convalescent plasma. There's now, uh, of course, vaccines. Uh, two that are under emergency use authorization, Pfizer and Moderna's product. 
which I'll give, I will be getting Moderna's product on Monday. I would have gotten it sooner, but I am, you know, two is one and one is none. Uh, have a plan B and a plan C, and tomorrow is Christmas Day. I am a Christian, and so I practice, uh, I observe that as a, a pretty significant holiday, the birth of Christ. Uh, and so I didn't really want to be sacked with side effects on Christmas Day. That's just pragmatic, right? So I'll, I delayed. I said, look, and plus I have to see patients tonight. I'm going to be working a shift tonight. So I didn't want to be crashed and uh, under the weather and not thinking sharply uh, if I have a problem with a patient tonight. And I want to make sure that we're covering with them after Christmas Day. Then I could take it any time, and the easiest time would be Monday. So I will be able to tell you about what Moderna's like. I've known several people that have had it. In fact, uh, in our operations uh, on the civilian side in West Virginia, um, many thousands of people now um, have been immunized. Uh, I'm not quite sure we've reached 20,000, but it's getting there. It has to more to do with uh, the amount of vaccine available than it does the ability to vaccinate, which is actually a really good thing. The, the, the interagency partnership, uh, the logistics organized under the Joint Interagency Task Force in West Virginia, has been very effective at getting distribution of um, of medical materials, uh, vaccines, also the stuff that's necessary to, to administer vaccines to people around the state. It's not perfect. Uh, I have told people when uh, we were looking at the working group, I said, if we look at this as a military operation, and it is, I said months ago, and I get criticized for this, that SARS-CoV-2, the response to it is war. We are fighting a, a a war against a pathogen, but it is still a war. There's logistics, there's weapons, there's all that stuff. And I know that that sometimes makes people bristle a little bit with the language, but as a physician, I've always realized that disease, um, the, the, the curing disease is, is a form of warfare. Um, and if we look at it that way, we have to think about all the things we have to have, you know, Issues of personnel, right? Human resources, families, and the impact of families and, and the social structure of the patient. Um, if I talk about intelligence, the, the knowledge of the disease pathogen, the actual circumstances of the patient's physiology, these are all intelligence aspects. Operations, um, our, our mode of, of attacking the problem vis-a-vis what's our steps in terms of patient management and care. Um, how are we going to task those things out and how are we going to organize that, that, that team, that fighting force to help fight the, the problem at hand, the pathogen? And then, of course, the logistics. I'm, I'm speaking in very deliberate Army terms uh, of the uh, representative staff sections. We talk about the S1234, J1, G1. That's for joint or at the, at the general officer level. The you know higher strategic levels, uh, general staffs, uh, but this is it. Personnel is the one, intelligence is the two, operations is the three, and logistics is the four. And so logistics is a big role for the for the West Virginia National Guard in um, in the fight against SARS-CoV-2, helping people in different agencies get stuff where they need to have it gotten to. And uh, so I think right now, uh, and I don't want to get too far out of my lane on this, but I think right now what we're really facing is the need for more vaccine availability. And I think uh, the sooner we get it, the faster we'll get it delivered and um, we'll start seeing some really interesting things. This is, by the way, the phase four trial of these vaccines. And you guys need to understand that phase four trials are, you know, this the uh, FDA has not stopped gathering data. Pfizer has not stopped gathering data. Moderna has not stopped gathering data. And so when you're asked for a lot of information about you vis-a-vis vaccine, um, you know, certainly your social security number's not acceptable to be asked for, but but your date of birth, who you are, if you've had any side effects, you know, do you have any other line, underlying medical conditions? 
it's not about intelligence gathering on you in an appropriate way. It is really trying to inform the, the manufacturers, given these types of people, when you start talking in the tens of millions, it's really important to know what can we expect from this vaccine in a 75-year-old person with hypertension and maybe lung disease. And that's why those questions are asked. It's not for any other reason. And that would happen with any medication, with any uh, vaccine, probably more so with uh, SARS-CoV-2 vaccine because it is a messenger RNA vaccine. And while messenger RNA vaccines have been used in veterinary medicine for many, many, many years and are known to be safe, it's the first time we've really deployed one into human beings. And so human beings are important and we're going to look after them and we're going to try to do the best we can. On the military side for distribution, again, it's always it's a supply issue. It's also um, the suspicion issue. And uh, in my YouTube channel, I talked about the three groups of people vis-a-vis, well, pretty much any movement. If we talk about SARS-CoV-2, we have to talk about the first early or the early adopters, the first followers in the herd. These are principles of sociology that allow you to understand that uh, the person who buys the iPhone 12 right off the bat is the early adopter. I got to have it. I'm going to camp overnight for two, three days, and I'm going to get that phone because it's the coolest thing on the planet. And when iPhone 13 or 14 comes out, I'll get that one and I'll sell my other phone. They need to have the newest thing because they're really interested in that. The, there are few of those, right? The, the first followers are the ones who are actually critical in all this because they're the ones that sit back and say, wait a minute, I'm not too sure it's worth dropping a, a G on a phone. I'll let those early adopters get it and I'll read the re- reports and look at the YouTube reviews and the unboxing and all that stuff that goes along with it. I got a lot of information. And then if it makes sense to me, I might get up there and get one myself. But I'm probably not going to be the first person out the door to buy it. I'm def- definitely not camping overnight in front of the Apple store to get the new phone. And... Uh, and uh, I'm going to just wait. As soon as the first followers have enough information to have buy-in, that's when the floodgates open. Because what the herd needs to see is something that validates social proof. Let me close the door real quick. That's my compressor. What you don't know is that uh, right next to my, my office is my studio, and right next to my studio is what I call the Foxworks, which is my shop, and it's where I build things and do other stuff that sometimes shows up on my YouTube channel. Uh, but anyway, then um, the compressor's going off out into the shop. Anyway, so so those that herd, the, the, the rank-and-file people who they, they don't necessarily have a lot of room in their life to, to do all the studying and do all the research and do all that. But what they want is social proof. And this is a concept that's been discussed by Robert Cialdini's PhD. You'll hear me mention him a lot. The book that I always turn to on that, which describes it in detail, is Influence. I'd recommend you get it if you want to understand social psychology a little bit better. But the social proof is people being herd animals, and indeed we are herd animals. Even those of us who live out in the rural areas, we have our own little herd, right? Typically it's our extended families, but people who live in cities, they live in cities because they like being around a lot of other people. They just do, they feel more comfortable that way. Well, they need social proof to know how am I supposed to behave? What am I supposed to do? You can see social proof at work in, in varying communities around the country. For instance, if I go to a, a, a town, an equivalent sized town, let's say Athens, 50,000 people. I can take one in Alabama and I can take Athens. Athens is a decided academic culture. The entire town exists around a little bit of agricultural, rural Appalachian agriculture um, and power generation. We have some large powerhouses and, and some other factories nearby, but most of it is around the university. The social proof of mask wear 
is very visible. You'll see it in the comments people make and the looks that people give about mask wear in social situations. They have been, they may not be able to articulate why other than the most basic public comments, but they'll get very upset with people who don't. Likewise, if you go to maybe another part of the country that's not necessarily steeped in academics, and I suppose the equivalent would be, say, a town, uh, Eufaula, or maybe Dothan, Alabama versus Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville has a lot of PhDs and a lot of research going on. Um, y- you might see a similar phenomenon, that the people in Dothan are being far less um, uh, pejorative or, uh, or, or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, maybe... Um, not dismissive, but just uh, scrutinizing or critical of people who don't wear masks all the time than they would in a more academic setting. But that doesn't mean that the academics are necessarily right. It means that there's a different set of priorities. One might be economic. Um, We've talked about this, not a lot of... um, You see it at the federal level, sometimes not explained a lot, but there's a real economic pressure. Uh, people do suffer when economics turn down, when they lose their job, their life expectancy changes, their, um, their vulnerability to disease changes. And so there are real health implications for crashing economies. There are also real health implications uh, for not protecting yourself against droplet-borne diseases. And so you'll see the competition and tug and pull, but ultimately it manifests itself in these communities with social proof that is very much influenced by what the values and morals and uh, predilections of that culture are. And so, um, you know, you have to watch for that when you see the vaccine uptake. Initially, the CDC knew that uh, vaccine uptake, they, they had high hopes. Okay, I heard the briefings, some of them at least. High hopes, there'll be a lot of a lot of desire for the vaccine. In some communities, yes. In some communities, eh, not so much. And all of it is built around social psychology. The uh, most public health interventions, mass public health interventions, are deeply reliant upon social psychology, marketing psychology, and influencing um, probably to a lesser degree or to a greater degree than um, individual concerns about disease. I mean, on a one-to-one basis, we're concerned about grandma. We don't want our grandma getting sick or our dad who's got a a medical problem or even ourselves or our child that's got a medical problem. But as 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 a reflection of culture of the whole society... Um, culture and social psychology play a much greater role than you think than the objective need for mask wear, etc. This is why I've anticipated that by summer you'll probably be largely out of masks as soon as governors have the reassurance that most people have been vaccinated regardless of efficacy rates, okay? They'll say, you've had a shot, you're going to be okay. Get back out to work because there's real competing pressures for keeping the economy going, getting elderly people visited in nursing homes so they don't give up in desperation and hopelessness. Um, It won't make sense to the pure academic who says, yes, but we should keep wearing masks because it protects people. Well, economics protects people too. Free society protects people. A certainty in the in the um, in the moral behavior of of collective governmental uh, processes let's say, you know, the election has an effect on people. When people don't have confidence in the integrity of the election and they're pitted against other country men and women who do, that creates friction. It's not a healthy environment for Americans. And so that has to be deliberately dealt with or there will be health implications for that. 
Uh, cooperation, cooperative bargaining is always the better way for any society to have people that say, yeah, I don't get all I want, but I do get most of what I want. And at the end of the day, we agreed and we're cooperating and we're getting along. Societies that cooperate well together tend to have less problems. I can tell you that directly. If you go to uh, Iraqi society where you have deep sectarian differences um, in the population, there's a lot of violence. And um, I don't think any Americans really want that. Certainly not at Christmas time. So that's what's going on right now. It's phase one. Uh, phase one is first responders, EMS personnel, folks that are on the front lines of trying to deal with COVID and the vulnerable. So you're going to see a lot of people in nursing homes, a lot of staff in nursing homes, in fixed facilities with, with populations that don't move a lot, state mental hospitals where the patients are there for a long time. They don't, they're, they, they're naive to the outside world for the most part. They're, they're very vulnerable. And so they have to be protected because they're the ones that get sickest and die uh, from SARS-CoV-2 in greater numbers. So you'll see that and you'll wonder, why can't I, my dad get his vaccine? It's supply and it's priority. And as supply increases, there will be a move to the second and third phases of societal vaccination. And that means that we've covered the vulnerable, the ones that want it. We've covered the uh, critical workers, uh, the, the ICU nurses and the respiratory therapists and the dietitians that work in the ICU and are around really sick people all the time. Uh, firefighters, paramedics, cops that are out there trying to deal with the public. And now we've got enough supply that we can get it into people who have vulnerability, but less so than this first group. And it's a little confusing, but we're talking about manufacturing vaccines in the not tens of millions, hundreds of millions of doses for this country and this continent, because we got the Canadians, we got the Mexicans, we got other people in, in the Americas. I can't go through all the countries in, in South America. I could if you like, but it would take time and it'd be boring. But I'll, let's just throw a shout out to Chile and Argentina and Brazil while we're at it. These countries all need those vaccines too. And then we have a global issue of, you know, a population of probably 3 billion people. Remember kids, young kids don't get this vaccine yet, but 3 billion people that could benefit from being vaccinated. Uh, that takes a lot of time to build those vaccines. Uh, it just does. And so it's going to be a, a deliberate approach until you ramp up production uh, and then supply will be ubiquitous. And I think by June or July, if you want a COVID vaccine, you walk down to CVS and you um, you just ask for one and they'll, they'll get you set up. Uh, they will ask you for information because it'll still be part of probably a data gathering and investigation of how well the vaccines are working and how they work in certain people. Uh, FDA approval. Remember that emergency use authorization is not FDA approval. It just means the FDA has enough confidence in the safety of the vaccine that the risks, the benefits outweigh the risks, which means that the vaccine appears safe enough that because the risk of getting COVID-19 will okay it to be used has not been approved, which is why it cannot be made mandatory in almost any circumstance, certainly not the military. They can't mandate it until it's approved. Approval comes after a phase four trial when the FDA has confidence the vaccine is doing what it should and not hurting people in, in statistically significant ways. Um, when you deal with mass public health, you're dealing with statistics. I hate to tell you that. And uh, there's probably going to be people who question that and say, well, they can be manipulated. There's a lot of scrutiny on this. And that data is all public uh, before the approval occurs. And there's a lot of very intelligent people who have to look at that data and say, yeah, they're fudging something here. Or no, this looks, this looks legit. Uh, and then we get to move on to the next problem. Um, I do believe that we'll always have mass season. I think that we're done with this idea of accepting all these flu deaths, 40,000 a year, that we'll just, you'll probably see governors that are, that are uh, 
um, motivated will start building, asking their uh, secretaries of health, public health, to say, build me a product so that when I start to see an unusual rise in flu or COVID infections, that we can put an alert out, text messaging, um, via social media resources, et cetera. It tells the public, look, we're seeing increased rates of these kind of problems. Uh, please wear a mask if you're in close social situations like a store or if, certainly if you're going into the hospitals or you're going into a clinic, please wear a mask and watch your hand sanitization. Otherwise, when you're out and about in public, you're probably pretty good, especially if you've been vaccinated. But be very mindful of these closed situations, the three C's we've always talked about, close spaces, close contacts, and crowds. Watch that. But I fully anticipate next Christmas will be a lot of people going to visit relatives, especially if they say, yeah, we've all been vaccinated. Uh, the risk of getting COVID now with a vaccination means a minor illness versus a serious hospitalization and possibly death. And then around March, as people open up their doors and windows and get lots of ventilation, and hopefully we've developed uh, UV uh, sterilization systems for the for the uh, ventilation and air conditioning units in our commercial buildings, and, and uh, we start building buildings smarter so we can use a lot of cross-flow ventilation and air exchange uh, instead of buttoning them up so tight that people say, yeah, you, we, we can go out to concerts. We can go out to a lot of stuff because the risk isn't there like it used to be. And people feel a lot more stable and get back to enjoying their, their, their life and their pursuit of happiness, which is uh, an important thing in a free society. Uh, what's the last thing we want to talk about on this Christmas Eve to get ready for? We're going to certainly talk about Bryant. I've got some other people lined up, and as soon as we get through Christmas, I'll be able to lock in on that as well as um, get some finalized stuff for the next semester of the med school. That's another thing. All of us as teachers, I think, at least most of us, want to have a little bit more in-person contact with our students. It's a very difficult thing to teach through a computer. Uh, you need to see faces, and you need to um, you need to read body language and see if your students are connecting with what you're doing. And and we just, just the interaction of seeing young people and being able to put a face to a name and hear a voice in real time, not filtered through electronics. And those are human experiences that are really important to teachers as well. And they enrich in our lives and they make us, uh, they make us motivated and really help us to enjoy the progress that a young person, a young adult makes towards their learning. And, and, and we can read them better. We can find out if what we're doing is really helping them along. And so that's going to be a, a good thing as well. Hmm, I had something on the back of my mind, in the back of my mind, other than I wanted to talk about, um, and I just for the life of me, I do not remember what it was. Oh, I do know all this. Uh, we'll get the movie industry back up, but I think that's changed too. I think we're going to see some very interesting things. And you notice that uh, uh, Marvel is going to be building stuff with, you know, Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, and um, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, and actors that are that are traditionally screen or film actors are going into direct-to-streaming in movie-type formats. And I think the best example of that is The Mandalorian, where the CGI in The Mandalorian is as good as anything we've seen in Star Wars, pretty much. Uh, and you look at the last episode of The Mandalorian, and you see the massive numbers of names of CGI folks that are working on that film. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Uh, more of these seasonal things where we have eight episodes of a story that is really compelling and captures our imagination. And, you know, I, I, I'm out of my lane in terms of literature about talking about myth and that sort of thing, but these things are important for all societies to have, to have the heroic stories and to have the, the tension and drama to reflect on as a metaphor for real-life issues. And I'm excited about that. I do want to see films in a big theater, but I think our experience with that is probably going to be changed a bit. Um, 
the movie industry is going to have to adjust and have to market specifically to a certain group of people who really want the experience of a big screen film uh, to see certain films because certain films just are made for that kind of thing. A lot of the Mandalorian episodes would have been much more enjoyable on a rather on a large format movie screen, especially the, you know, the space scenes and that sort of stuff really lends itself to that vastness, that sensation, but of feeling that that the space, right? Uh, that's a that's a cool thing. A movie like um, like uh, Interstellar needs to be seen on the big screen. I've watched it many, many times on computers and on iPhones and certainly on uh, widescreen TV, but in it, it is its scope needs to be experienced on the big screen at least once. It's, it's very good. Um, hmm, I got, I got nothing else other than to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Prepare for Bryant Giles. I'm going to try to get the editing done with that uh, and be mindful of how vaccines... Our contingent on supply, I do want to tell you that, that FedEx and UPS and Prime Air and everybody else are competing with Santa Claus right now, right? So it's not just moving vaccines by the millions. It's also making sure that there's a 10-year-old that gets, you know, I don't know what the latest thing is, but whatever 10-year-old's like in, under the tree or, you know, whatever the equivalent is. There's a lot of that movement, right, going on. So logistics, infrastructures, and supply chains are impacted by competition too. And you'd think, well, let's just move, let's just only focus on vaccine. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. People need jobs. Like I told you, economics have a direct impact on people's health and welfare. To a pro, I would say, and I'm gonna, I get in trouble for this, to a greater degree than actual dedicated medicine does. A person, human beings, especially, and this is a very much a part of the osteopathic philosophy, we are built to be self-maintaining, self-regulating, uh, and to basically enjoy health as long as we're getting adequate exercise, we're taking care of our mental and spiritual health, emotional health, and getting good nutrition. If we do those things, we've got most of it locked down because our bodies are incredible machines. They will take care of us. They'll heal us. They'll build immunity to things. We do need a little bit of help occasionally, and I'm like one of those people. I'm taking SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. Why? Because my immune system needs a little bit of guidance. But after that, we move on to other things. And so we do need economics. We do need people to have jobs, uh, sorting boxes and building things that little kids are going to want on Christmas Day and, and Christmas wrap and uh, people who make tape and, you know, bows and all that other stuff. So that's really important, too. It's not, it's not a dichotomy. It has to be a blend of all those things to meet need. And we will meet need. Just, you know, we have the capacity to absorb that and get things moved around the way we do. So with that, I'll leave you to think about that. I'll try to get uh, Brian's episode edited as quickly as possible. And then I will um, I'll put this up and wish you again a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Even if you don't celebrate Christmas, even if you're of a different faith, as a person who does celebrate Christmas, that conveys to you my deepest hope and sentiment for the best best circumstances you can have wherever they're at and I, I, I just wish you the best and, and wish you a happy new year so with that I bid you adieu until next week take care
Adaptations is the periodic podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the state of Ohio, state of West Virginia, the Department of Defense, or any of its agencies, Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communication, or any of the agencies associated with these entities. The guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is produced, hosted, and edited by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is sometimes co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the streets. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without the express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema or by contacting me, Todd Fredericks, trfredericks at MeWe. If you comment, please be nice. I have sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater. And finally, I would always acknowledge that Rotations was founded and created by Nisarg Bakshi, Brian Plow, and Todd Fredericks, all of whom have various and intermittent input in the production of Rotations. And we ask always that you consider we want it to be the best product that we can give to you. So please tweet, uh, retweet us, post us on your favorite social media platform, send us feedback, ask people to participate in Rotations. We would be grateful for that. It will improve our content and make it a better experience for you. Take care.